I'm Jess. And I'm Jen. We're just two run-of-the-mill casting directors looking to have a little fun while tearing down the curtain on casting, the process, and how the sausage gets made. So many misconceptions have come from outside sources, so we're here to clear the air and make sure everyone gets a full picture of all that goes into casting your favorite TV shows and films. All the while, we'll be drinking some amazing cocktails and spilling the tea on some of the most outrageous stories we've come across in our careers. Maybe we'll even bring on a few exciting guests along the way. Cheers! Cheers. Good afternoon. Good evening. Welcome back to Tipsy Casting. I'm Jen, and this is my co-host, Jess. Thank you all so much for tuning in again this week. We're so excited to welcome one of our friends, the wonderful and talented casting director, Amanda Lanker-Doyle, to Tipsy Casting. Amanda is a self-proclaimed treasure hunter obsessed with all things shimmery and bright. She has dedicated her life to the hunt for gems, jewels, and actors. An award-winning casting director, Amanda has been working in film and television casting for over 17 years. In 2022, her short film, Please Hold, was nominated for an Academy Award in the live-action short film category. Some additional favorite credits to date include our hashtag J, which swept Sundance and South by Southwest in 2021, Blackish and the Muppets for ABC, Zach and Mia for Netflix, and Wayne streaming now on Amazon Prime. In addition to working as an independent casting director and producer, Amanda is now serving as the director of casting relations at tech startup Castability, where she is thrilled to have a new venue to showcase and source actors. Amanda believes that every actor should have an opportunity to shine, and she can't wait to see what beautiful gems she digs up. Now grab a cocktail or a mocktail and enjoy. Hello, hello, Amanda. How are you? I'm great. How are you, friends? Good. Good. We're very excited to have you. Uh, you are no stranger to podcasts as you co-host your uh, own on the castability front. So we're very excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, obviously. I, I feel like when, when we first hop on and you're not recording, like that's the really great <laughs> stuff for the intro. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what were we talking about? Everything. And it was like already juicy. So I'm really excited. <laughs> I was telling my friends that I was like begging you guys to do this one because it's like really fun and very different than the Castability podcast, which feels like, I feel like it's very like professional and I'm trying to like, you know, on you know, discover something for our listeners every every episode and yeah. this is this is like I did get my glass of wine I do have the bottle sitting next to me as well in case I need to refill I will say um I am a lightweight so <laughs> <laughs> don't worry don't worry it was quite funny last week uh Jess was drinking limoncello and um by one by the end she's like I finally get tipsy casting <laughs> That was the first time that you've ever been actually tipsy? I think so. I mean, it was very effective. How responsible of you. I know. I know. I will say there was one time I had gin that I was drinking that I was like, by the end, I was like, mm, I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> well, that's when you should start, frankly. <laughs> the conversation. Once we're on glass number two, we're ready to go. Right. I just like, I love the idea of like, okay, listen, anything might be said. <laughs> like, 
because, you know, <laughs> we're always so afraid to say things. I feel like it's a constant, like, it's, there's a sensitivity to, like, what we do, obviously. There's, like, a lot of – it's a lot of it's confidential. It's very difficult to speak about our jobs without feeling like we're going to get in trouble, frankly. I love the idea of, like, let's put us in a in a situation where uh, we might actually get in trouble, but it, who cares? <laughs> that's where we are in the world right now. It's like, we're like in this place now where it's just like, honestly, who cares? Like, let's just talk about what we want to talk about. It's funny. I was telling Jen, we were planning our next few episodes and we're like, okay, so Amanda's coming on and we're what are we going to talk about? You know what? This is just going to be a bitch fest in the best possible way. <laughs> that's exactly what I want though. I'm so stoked. First of all, we should cheers. Okay. Yes. But what, what are you drink? What are you drinking exactly? I have a bottle of Merlot. Because I, I used to love Pinot, but I became like randomly like allergic to it in a way. It was very strange. I don't know what happened, but it's Josh. Oh, I love Josh. Jess, what are you drinking? I am not. I'm consuming my alcohol a different way today. Um, I recently invested in a shaved ice contraption that attaches to my standing mixer. So I made a little pod that it's uh, pureed, freshly squeezed, juiced watermelon infused with Dos Ombres Mezcal. (laughs) Nice. And because it's like over 90 degrees, it's probably 96 in the valley, it is time to break out the shaved ice. (laughs) It's so bougie. I love it. Jen, Jen, what are you, Jen, you're drinking wine. I saw I have wine. I have a cab today because like I I was telling you guys earlier, I have to be up at 6 a.m. tomorrow and it's already 9 p.m. here. So I was like, can't go too hard because I have to teach a class, get to another city in the UK and do all that stuff tomorrow. So I was like, I'll just stick with wine. (laughs) Perfect. Amazing. I'm here for it. Also, I forgot to mention, I I topped this with tahini, so it's got a little bit of spice to it. I'm here. I'm here for the summer. Killing but let's it. cheers though. And okay, so cheers. Um, yes. Let's go all the way to the camera and all the way and cheers. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're so happy to have you. And honestly, I was telling Jess before you came on, it's similar to me and Jess, I don't really know you that well. <laughs> um, I feel like a horrible part of our community that I was like, I need to go look her up. I was like, I don't even know what she's done. Like, I know you guys are quite tight if I'm correct. Like you guys are pretty close friends. So this will be a, a discovery for Jen, which I'm excited about. I always love, love getting to know people better. I feel like, cause I was on, I, well, so Jessica and I met on, uh, when we both served on the board of CSA, I was on the board of CSA for seven years, I think. Oh, bless you. God. And you survived. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, no, it's a, you know, it's a volunteer position. It's a very difficult thing to do. So, and you know, for, to the current board members and, and past board members, I, we all uh, appreciate you and salute you. Um, but yes, uh, I was on the board for seven years. Jess was on for one term, I think, or two terms. Uh, two terms, four years. I was like one and a half technically because April was on it and then left very soon after she was elected. And so I ended up coincidentally taking her spot based on votes, which was funny. Yes, I do remember that. We were like, oh, that would be, let's have Jess. Um, Yeah, so we became friends then and have remained friends, but have obviously, you know, I've gotten even closer, you know, over the, the past few years in the course of over the course of this like insane situation that we're all finding ourselves in we're all just like really leaning on each other hard right now you know because it's it's a wise the wild west out there but yeah i i feel like i know of everyone you know all the casting professionals out there because of my time on the board but i don't i, I i'm so excited to get to know you better jen because like if just likes you i i i love you by default because like she has excellent taste obviously <laughs> same <laughs> so 
it's so great to be here. I love that. It's so great to be here. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to do this with you. And thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for joining us. We love it. We're so excited. So where do we start? First of all, I would love to know, like, give me the, give me the Amanda story. Like, where are you from? How'd you get into casting? Are you like a local, like Jess? Are you from California or are you, did you implant? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and you're from the Southeast, right? Yes and no. So I grew up in Denver, um, Colorado, actually. So I grew up there and then I moved to Nashville to go to college. So I'm, I was in Nashville from like 18 to 26 years of life. And, um, so that's Sorry. like how I kind of got into, I'm, I feel like as an adult, I grew up in the South. So I feel very Southern. A lot of people say like, oh, you feel so Southern, but yeah. So I have a lot of roots there. Got it. Okay, great. So, okay. So I was, I'm from Ohio, uh, central Ohio. I went, I grew up doing like community theater as like an actor. Uh, and then I went to Ohio university and I, frankly, I got into USC film school, but my dad was like, it's so expensive. It was like, I think at the time it was like $60,000 a year. And he was like, and I also got into OU and which was $15,000 a year at the time in state. And so I was like, he was like, if you go to OU, you can take your car. And I was like, <laughs> uh, please go to OU. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll go to OU. But you know, if you're going to trying to be a filmmaker, the difference between Ohio University and Athens, Ohio and USC is massive. But I went to OU and I I wanted to be a performance major. But my again, my dad was like, maybe you should not be a performance major. And I was like, okay, dad, whatever. So I was a telecommunications major, uh, like a film production major. I minored in classical civilizations and uh, theater. Because I was a theater minor, I wasn't able to perform in main stage shows. That Those were reserved for the, the majors. So I ended up doing a, a few performances in some of like the smaller productions. Like the, um, I did a radio play. I did some of the black box productions. And then I fell into stage management because that was something that I was allowed to do as a minor. So I stage managed a lot of like the bigger shows. I would say after my first year, I met this group of people that are my essentially my family. They were all TCOM or there was a, a, a master's program that was for film that you could get your master's in in like the same time as the undergrad. And my my friends they that I found in my second year, we were producing stuff for um, the local television station called Athens Video Works. And we were doing like shows and all sorts of stuff. And we had a our, in our group, we had two DPs, three DPs or two DPs and like camera department. We had a producer who's now a very f- like famous producer. We had an editor and two directors that were, you know, have become directors through different pathways. And at one point, our producer friend, uh, who now lives in Georgia with me, like with us, like we moved to LA together back in 2006. And now he and we moved here together. At one point, he said to me, he's like, you know, I was like kind of being a producer just by default. And he looked at me and he was like, why don't you be our casting director? And I was like, oh, Okay. And he's like, you know, everybody in the school of theater, you like know, you could easily identify who would be right for what role. I I feel like you'd be great as our casting director. Why don't we call you our casting director? And I was like, great. (laughs) So, so John identified that in me and I ran with it and because I loved it and it made a lot of sense. Um, I knew I didn't want to go into acting once I left school because I was really, I had found like this in-between position between like my super type A personality and, you know, the love, my love for acting and I just felt really right. And so I pursued that as soon as I got out to LA and, and was on the ground and tried to, trying to figure it out. Um, so I started in commercial casting. I got my first job. It was really hard to 
to get a job. I my first job I interviewed all over the place and and didn't get you know placed anywhere. My very first interview was at William Morris. It was before it was William Morris Endeavor, and it oh this is this is the place to tell this story. <laughs> yes, spill. So it was wild. Um, I went into their offices and the interview was a series of tests. So the first test was a typing test to see how fast I could type. And it was on this like old archaic like desktop computer. It was it wasn't even like an Apple computer, like one of those like colorful Apple computers. It was like an IBM. <laughs> and it was like a, a monster machine. And so I sat down and I was like, oh, okay. And I like typed via the prompts, like you're supposed to type whatever is like and it was like like C programmed, like the original matrix, like you know what I mean? And so I like did my typing test. Okay, I passed that fine. Okay, oh well, congratulations, you've passed your typing test. So now um we're going to send you in to meet with um, the head of HR and uh, you're going to have a talk with him. And then if you pass that test, we're going to send you to a desk to meet with one of the agents. And I was like, okay, cool. So I go to meet with HR and he was the biggest character I've ever met. I don't know his name. I don't know who he was. Couldn't point him out in a crowd today. Have no idea who this guy was, but he was insane. And he was like, okay, so... I just have to make sure that you're okay with them throwing things at you. Like, you know, sometimes they throw pencils and staplers and, uh, you know, things like flying at your face. Like we just have to right now um, get that, you know, you have to like sign a waiver. The HR person said this to you. The HR person at William Morris verbatim, I will never forget it said that to me. Oh my gosh. And I was like, and I was like, I just wanted a job. Like I just wanted to like get a job in the industry that I was trying to get into. And so I was like, yeah, I mean, okay, okay sure. Like, and that's like, I, I guess I'll just like be really aware of my surroundings and duck. Like if I have to. <laughs> and <laughs> so he was like, great. Okay. We're going to send you to meet with an agent. Just sit over there for 20 minutes and I'll, I'll make sure she's ready for you. Again, I have no idea who this agent is. I, I couldn't tell you who it was. And I've asked Allie, our friend Allie, because like she knows everybody and knew everybody back then too. And I, I tried to like ask her who she thought it was. And she's like, oh God, I have no idea. So, and it's better that I don't know, frankly, um, <laughs> <laughs> who it was because it gets, the story gets better. So then I go down to her desk. I sit down. She's lovely. She's, she's quite nice. Um, she represents rappers as actors. So Ludacris was one of her clients and she goes, you know, and so I'm just like, no offense to rappers as actors. Cause like, you know, common's pretty good. Like some of them are pretty good, but I was like immediately offended, like on behalf of like actors. <laughs> so I was just like, okay, okay. You know, that's kind of like, I was like, okay, fine. Whatever, 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 whatever. Okay. I was like, so I was like, you know, we had a great interview and she was very kind. She looked at me a couple, like up and down a couple of times. And she was like, now you're going to have to go shopping. Oh my God. And I was like, I mean, okay. And she was like, don't go shopping yet though. Like insinuating that she's not going to hire me. She's like, didn't want me to spend the money until she actually hired me. But she's like, yeah, you're going to need different clothes. And I was like, Okay. And then she's like, and also, so I just like to give you an idea of what the job looks like. You're going to come in. Um, you're going to need to see every movie that's out in theaters because Luda calls every Friday to ask what he should see uh, for research. And, I, and you're going to need to know and you're going to need to be able to speak to everything. And I was like, okay, great. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I did not get that job. Uh, and thank God. You know what's so crazy is 
I have a friend who has a very similar story and with a producer who was like, she was quite young, interned with this production company. And then she was working for this one producer who is, one was female. And I was like, I don't get why it's constantly females telling other females how they should dress in this world. But she said the same thing. She was like, I'm an intern. I'm living off no money. I'm trying to live in LA, all those kind of things. And this woman kept coming up. She said it was a weekly thing where she was like, um, you need to dress better. And she was like, I can barely afford rent. I'm going to H&M trying to find like the best, cheapest clothes I can. And yet this woman who makes probably like, you know, good six figures at least is like, come on, like up your game. And she's like, I'm an intern. And she was like, I've never been so offended in my life that you know, here I am trying my best and I'm doing all this work for free for the company. And this woman who, and I actually know who she was talking about who, and I won't call her out. Um, and so it's like, she literally is like, oh, you need to do better when, you know, my friend was probably 10 times better at her job than she'll ever be. So <laughs> it is so weird that that's a thing in our industry. Cause I feel like we're such a casual industry. Like, I don't even know. Like, I remember like when I had to like buy my first like blazer, I was like, I'm so used to wearing just jeans and a t-shirt every day <laughs> or yoga pants to the office. Dude, I know. And it's like, listen, like at a certain point, I, I can appreciate how your wardrobe is an ex- like a, an expression of like your art artistry and yourself. But like, like that's different. Like that's like they're asking us to wear blazers, off, like, right? And it's just like, yeah. okay. She actually said, you're going to need to go to, what was the store she said? Like Lane Bryant or something, and like or like like an ex- yeah. Express or something like that back in the day. I was like, okay, <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, it was it was an experience that I will like literally never forget. It was literally my first interview in any like any aspect of like the industry at all. I was working at Nordstrom to like you know pay my rent at the time, um, and I made more I made more money at Nordstrom at the Grove in like the three months that I was there as I was like transitioning into the industry. Than I did for the first like six years of my job, my my career in casting. Wow. Like I made more money at Nordstrom. Oh, I hear you. I think I'm probably still making more or making more money uh, before I got into casting than I've been than I have in the last fifteen years. <laughs> Yeah, dude. It's it's pretty gnarly. We can also talk about that. But then I, I think I interviewed with a, a commercial agent. That was a really gnarly experience too. She was not nice and took a call like during our interview. It was like so rude. So oh, so the end of the William Moore story is that I think the HR guy who said it to me, but he was like, mm, well, you're really green, but I'm going to set you up to meet with the agent. And I was like, okay. And then I got in my car after it was all said and done and I called my mom and I was like, mom, they said I was really green, but I don't know. Maybe I'll get this job. Like, what does green mean? <laughs> and she goes, oh, honey, if you don't know what green means, that means you're really green. <laughs> I <was> like, okay, <laughs> whatever. So yeah, so that was the end of that story. But then, so then I ended up getting a job with um, Ava Shevitt, who's a big commercial casting director and she owned her own studio over in Santa Monica. And I got that job in 2000 and well, I had quit Nordstrom because I was like, I need to focus on trying to get a job in the industry. My first job in casting was then in like the end of 2006, early 2007, I got this job with Ava and I was there until, uh, no, it must've been 2006 because then I was there until the end of 2008 when the, when the, that recession happened and she couldn't keep me on staff anymore. And she knew I wanted to work in theatrical casting. And she said to me, 
She's like, honey, I can't keep you on anymore. I'm so sorry. But what I can do is get you an internship with Sharon Bialy if you'd like. And I was like, oh, I love that. And this was before the internship thing fell apart because Sharon had been like her assistant at one point. And so I jumped in on an internship at Bialy Thomas and Associates, met all of them. And then they hired me for pilot season in 2008, I believe. And the, that was when I did the first six of The Walking Dead with them. And we were doing a pilot called 187 Detroit or Detroit 187. They flopped it, whatever it was. I can't remember. And then they were doing season two of Lie to Me and something else at the time. So it was like a real baptism by fire. Like it was like, it was wild. Like it was just, it was work from 7 a.m. until midnight every night. And it was crazy. From there, I was with them for about a half a year and then things slowed down. So they couldn't keep me on anymore as an assistant. And I jumped into Alexis and Christine's office. So I was with Kazara Shevchenko for almost seven years. And then I partnered with my friend, Chrissy Fiorelli Ellington. Uh, and I was with her for five years and now I'm on my own. Love that. Love that. Okay. So what's your favorite casting story? Tell us. Okay. So I have, I have two. I have one with Chrissy, <laughs> but my first one, the, the one that's like, you know, really that I tell everybody because it's so, and I, it's not, I, I don't, I want to be really careful not to, to, to be dismissive of, of Sharon and Sherry and their, you know, and what they, they did on The Walking Dead. Cause it was like astounding. Like to watch them work is astounding. They're incredible. But what happened was, you know, I'm, I'm just the assistant. Like I'm in, I'm at a desk in the hallway. Like we were in, we were on the Fox lot at the time, I think because of Lie to Me was on the Fox lot. And so they had an office like already established on the Fox lot. We were just already in their pre-existing Lie to Me offices doing this job. And I was sitting at a desk in the hallway and then Sharon and Sherry had a, an office. And, you know, I was just like, I, I doing all the assistant stuff. So at the time we were recording on little Sony Handycams to chips. And then I was taking the chip, downloading the footage and building DVDs. And we were couriering DVDs over to whoever needed to get the DVDs. At that time, a lot of the sessions were in person because the producers were right there. So they were coming, you know, to our office to have sessions. For Walking Dead, Frank Darabont lived on the east side of town and he was basically not available to come to the office for sessions. So the direction was for us to put everyone on tape for him. And then we were building DVDs every day and, you know, sending them over to Frank that night and then his process was that he would wake up in the morning and watch while he was on his treadmill. <laughs> so, so that was that was the process. And as we all know, those of us that participated in pilot season, as it was, pilot season was basically January to March, three months of torture, for lack of a better word. We were working 7 a.m. to like midnight or later most days. You know, on this one, Frank had he had done he had done the mist with Thomas Jane, and he really wanted Thomas uh, to be. Rick Grimes. And it's it makes a lot of sense if you have read the graphic novels, if you've seen any of the art from the original Walking Dead, he looks just like Thomas Jane, <laughs> like literally. Like it, there's no getting around it. Like if you look at it, like look it up right now. Like it's like, oh, that's literally Thomas Jane's face. Like how weird. And Frank was like, I want Thomas Jane. And Thomas was on a show called Hung at the time that we were waiting to see if it was going to get picked back up. And it did. Thomas was not available because he was on Hung and Frank was just like, I want Thomas. And because this is like his first foray into television too. He's a film guy. And so he didn't really understand. He understood it, but didn't like accept it, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the idea that he couldn't have who he wanted. And so it was just not possible at the time. And so everybody we read, he was, you know, inadvertently comparing to what he imagined Thomas would do because again, he knew him really well from the mist, et cetera. And so we were reading and reading and reading people because everybody was, he was just saying, he was essentially saying no to everybody because he wanted Thomas so bad. And a quick sidebar, uh, 
you know, obviously we've all met like so many amazing actors in our time and it's been such a wild ride. And like, you know, we don't get super star starstruck um, because we're so used to it. But like I was really young and I was obsessed with Saved by the Bell, obviously. As we all were. With Mark Paul Gossler. Yeah, of course. And I had the Saved by the Bell board game growing up and I knew that Mark Paul and I shared a birthday. He's 10 years older than me, but he his birthday is also March 1st. And I had mentioned it in passing to Sharon at one point and we ended up bringing him in for The Walking Dead and Sharon told him <laughs> and then she brought me out and she was like, hey, Amanda, come here for a second. And I was like, you know, at my desk in the hallway. And I'm like, what's up? What's happening? What's going on? And, he, and it's like Mark is right there. And I was like, oh, hello. <laughs> and he was like, I just wanted to say happy birthday. Oh. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. Um, it was incredible. Um, so that was the gift that Sharon Bialy gave me at one point. But um, OK. And, and then, OK, we're back. And then, uh, OK, so we're reading everybody in town, including and not limited to Mark Paul Gossler. And these scenes are like 10 minutes long. It's It just takes – it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff to watch, a lot to, to get through every day. We've read a lot of people at this point. And Gohar and I were the only ones left in the office that night. And we're just sitting there trying to come up with who we were going to read on Monday. And we're sitting there spitballing ideas. And she goes to me, ugh. I love love, actually. And I was like, oh my God, same. I watch it all the time. She's like, what about Andrew Lincoln? And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. Let's try it. She's like, great. So she emailed Markham and Froggett. I think it was at the time that he was with. I don't remember. And on Monday, we come in. We receive his tape. He's incredible. I burn him to the DVD that I'm making. And by the way, this is one of those like moments where like they were like, you know how to use iDVD, right, Manda? And I was like, oh yeah, totally. And I like did not know how to use it. I didn't know how to do anything. I was just like, you know, it was like a fake it till you make it situation. So I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. So I had quickly taught myself how to use iDVD at the beginning of this process. And my my process was to just write over <laughs> everybody from the previous day and like, you know, move there. And I was burning two of each and keeping like dupes on a little spindle on my desk. It was like deleting and then like retyping their names and like throwing their file in and like, you know, and then burning it and then running it to the courier. And so I put Andrew on Monday's DVD. And then on Friday, every Friday, Frank and Sharon would hop on Skype. And, uh, you know, I, I'm like listening to the conversation just so I know like what I'm doing tomorrow, you know, kind of thing. And I'm just sitting at my desk quietly listening. And then I hear Frank go, ugh, you must really like this Andrew Lincoln guy. And we were like, we love him. Why? And he was like, because he's been on every DVD since Monday. <laughs> And I was like, holy shit, I'm getting fired. Like, what did I do? I fucked, you know, because you're like, you're so young and you're like, you mess something up and you're like, oh, it's immediately like you're going to get fired, even though Sharon Cher would never like yell at me. Like they're the, the kindest people ever. But like you just are, it's built into you to like freak out. Mm -hmm. I must have been standing outside her door because I remember running back to my desk and popping, starting to pop in the DVDs. So I pop in the Monday DVD. Okay, there he is. Fine. He's on Monday. Then I pop into the computer, the Tuesday DVD. And I was like, he's not there. I don't understand. Then I was like, I don't know what I did. And so I ran down the hallway to the writer's room and I was like, can I borrow this? They had like a TV on the cart like we did in, when we were in elementary school. And I was like, can I borrow this? And they were like, yeah. And I like pulled it down to my desk and I plugged it in. And I was like put, popping DVDs in. And what I realized was that his tape was stuck like above the menu. So when you popped a DVD in, he you had to watch the entire read before you could get to the menu for the next day. So I forced Frank to watch 10 minutes of Andrew Lincoln every day for four days. And that and then I hear him go, fuck it, let's test him. 
Wow, what a great story. <laughs> I want to clarify that Andrew Lincoln got himself this job by being an incredible actor and then coming and killing it in the test and being amazing. But also, I mean, I think I think actors forget that things like this happen. Like we even though you didn't know you were fighting for him, but there are times where like who knows? Like if you didn't put him on that DVD like four times, he might have seen him and been like, "Oh yeah, you know, moving on, we'll test somebody else or we'll wait for Thomas Jane or something like that." Like there are random things that happen cuz I'm a huge believer that every actor who ends up with the role has always been destined to have the role like no matter what happens no matter who gets offered it beforehand or if somebody falls out at the last second whoever ends up on screen it was always meant to be them and so I agree like I think it's Andrew's talent and everything that got him there but there are so many things that could have changed this trajectory that he wouldn't have gotten the role completely I always say like it was like the universe working through me you know like I was just like I was like this young dumb like <laughs> Like completely like, you know, whatever assistant. And for me, it was a real, you know, and reflecting on that, it was just like, okay, you're right, Jen. Like everything that happens is happens for a reason and is meant to happen. And the things that are for you will come to you Mm -hmm. because that's how the universe works, right? I have to say, and not to do two back-to-back stories, but my one of my personal favorite stories of yours is your Wayne story. That's my second favorite story. <laughs> and I just, like, I, and I just, I just feel like I'm talking at you guys as I'm drinking. No, and getting a little bit. no, no. no. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to hear Wayne. Who's Wayne? First of all, Wayne's a great name. I love anyone with a Wayne and I'm in. <laughs> like, sign me up. <laughs> so Wayne, Wayne is the, the name of our show that Chrissy and I cast. Um, it was an incredible show that was uh, just such a wonderful experience. It was for YouTube Premium at the time. And um, it's now on like Hulu or Netflix. We did one season of it. And it was it was just a, a wonderful experience We from top to bottom. So when we we had done a show with two of the EPs that were on Wayne uh, for Amazon previously, then they came to us and they were like, we really want you to, you know, cast this one for us, but you're going to have to fight for it. And we were we're like, okay. We're like, we're going to have to like really uh, do the dance on this one. So Christy was like, all right, let's do it. And we like pulled a bunch of like images. We pulled a bunch of names for each role and picked like pictures and like printed out the resumes. I made an entire binder. I like went to Kinko's and like made a book to take to our meeting because I wanted this job really bad. It was a great script. We were, we just, we were desperate. We like, we were like, we need, we, not only do we want this job, we want to work with these producers that we've worked for before, but like we need a job, you know? And it's just like, and so we went hard and I had just seen a screener of Sing Street if you're familiar with that film it's an Irish film and it's the sweetest movie ever and after I watched it with Jordan I was like oh my god these kids are so good I'm really into like the kid that plays all the instruments who's Mark McKenna and he was like yeah he's great I was like he's great and so Chrissy and I get this job and we're coming up with ideas to take to the meeting and we take everybody you know we take everybody who's appropriate and there's not very many like what's supposed to be like a 17 year old lead you know because it's just difficult to take because like there aren't a ton of famous people who are 17. So I I inc- I've included Ferdia and Ian and, and everybody else in Sing Street and Mark specifically in the book. But I was like really excited about Mark. And I remember talking about Mark in our meeting and like, you know, just like super stoked about this. If you haven't seen Sing Street, maybe I can get you a screener. You should watch it, whatever. So we jump into the, the process of casting and we end up, we reached out to Mark obviously in the very beginning to his agent over in the UK and we, were, we asked for him to self-tape and then we had to chase it for like three weeks. And we ended up testing him and another kid over from the UK. We flew him out to LA and it was a YouTube 
YouTube show. So we had access to the YouTube stages over on the West side. And, you know, I said to Chrissy, I was like, I really want, I want to do this test right. Like I want Devin to shoot it instead of like me. I used to run camera and I was like, I just just want it to look really good. For the record, Devin is her husband who was a DP. Yes. Devin is my husband. He's a cinematographer. (laughs) And so we, we had Devin shoot the screen test over at the YouTube stages and it was beautiful. So we do this test on a Thursday and then the next day is Friday. And I remember I was at like I was getting my nails done or something and we got a call from the exec the casting executive Danny and he was like okay so they like Mark they want to see him be angrier and Chrissy was like oh no <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and Chris and I were on the phone. So like, you know, we were like, okay, great. Okay, well, let me let us see what we can do because he's supposed to be flying home. Chrissy's like, all right, let us let us figure this out and we'll call you back. And they're like, okay, great. And so I'm on the phone with Chris and she's like, this is not great news. And I was like, no, I know. Because like he was scheduled at this was three o'clock on Friday. He was scheduled to, his flight was supposed to leave at like six o'clock back to uh, Dublin. So she was like, you know, Chrissy's married to an actor. She was like, listen, if, if he goes, like he's it's done it's over like he we got, we're gonna have to keep looking we're gonna have to find somebody else like it's not gonna happen for him if he goes home and has to like self tape and angry or whatever it's just not gonna happen for him they need to see it right now and I was like okay and she's like what if we call the driver and we get him to reroute to your house because Devin still had the camera that we had rented for the test and I was like great idea so she's like okay so she put me on hold she calls like she gets into it she's doing all this she's calling the driver she's like okay got the driver he's gonna reroute to your house I was like great so I'm at the nail salon so I run home and I'm I stand on my front lawn. I've got Chrissy in my ear the whole time. I'm standing on my front lawn and I'm waiting for him because I was like, he's going to be so confused. Why are we going into a neighborhood? Why are we stopping at a house? Not going to LAX. I'm supposed to be going to LAX because I'm supposed to be getting on a plane. And I'm standing there with Chrissy and I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking to the, and now at this point we've got our producer like looped in as well. And we're like, oh God, he's not coming. He's not here, you guys. I feel like at this point he's got to, he has, he's got to be at the airport. Like, I don't understand. Like, we're just making these like decisions. And all of a sudden I was like, I'm getting in the car. And Chrissy was like, get in the car. I'm, I was like, I'm getting in the car. And I was like, I yelled to Devin. I was like, turn on all the lights. <laughs> get the camera set up in the garage. We're going to put Mark back on tape. I'm going to get him. And Devin was like, what? And I was like, I just, I'm going. And he was like, okay. And I hopped in my car and I drove to LAX and I was circling for a minute because I was, we were trying to reach him. Like we were trying to call him and he wasn't answering his phone. And we were just like, we couldn't get a hold of him. I was like, I'm parking, you know? And I was like, so I parked in the middle and I ran into Tom Bradley because I assumed that Aer Lingus was Tom Bradley. And I'm like looking for Tom. You guys, I just have my bag. I have flip flops on. I have like not flip flops. I have like the flip flops that they give you at the nail salon so that your feet, (laughs) your toes don't touch each other <laughs> so I'm I'm like I'm running through Tom Bradley I'm like where is Aer Lingus and I finally find I look at someone I'm like where's Aer Lingus and they're like oh yeah I think we moved that to uh Terminal 3 and I was like oh okay great okay great and so I ran to Terminal 3 on foot and I run into Terminal 3 and I'm at this point I'm out of breath you guys I'm like freaking out I'm like I'm we're gonna miss him he's gonna get on this plane he's gonna fly away and I'm like where's Aer Lingus and they're like mm, Terminal 2 I think and I was like okay 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 so I run I run I run to terminal two and I run in and there it is it's right next to delta and I'm like okay there it is I'm screaming at my producer and crazy in my ear they're like oh okay great and I run up to the counter and I'm like hello hi I'm um 
I'm a casting director and I need you. I just, I, I assume he's already through security. So I was wondering if you could just like page an actor. Could you page an actor for me and at, uh, ask him to come out? Um, I, we um, we need to test him again. Uh, we need to put him back on tape. We, it's like it's a, the difference of whether he's going to get like get this role or not. Like I just really need you to page him. And this woman is just like staring at me like dead eyed. And she, and other others have started to gather behind her at this point. And she was like, "No, ma'am." And I was like, <laughs> I was like "Obviously, you can't." do that. Okay, right. Right. Okay, so um so I turned around and I walked out to the platform or to the, you know, to the outside area and I was like, "Yo, dudes, like I'm going to get arrested at this point. Like they're watching." And my producer goes, "I have an idea." And I was like, "What's your idea?" He's like, "What if we buy you a plane ticket and you go through security and then you just instead of going to like your gate, you go to the gate that he's supposed to be at." And I was like, "Okay, Great this idea. This is like a rom-com. Yeah. This like, is a rom-com. Great idea. I was like, so I'm giving the producer my birthday and I'm giving him all the information. He's going to buy me a one-way ticket to New York. And he's buying my ticket. And then Chrissy goes, wait, I have an idea. <laughs> I was like, what's your idea? And she was like, okay, what if I tweet at him through Tate's account, which he will get because it's verified. And I was like, do it, do it. And she was like, great. So she <laughs> she tweets, hey, at Mark McKenna. Um, this is Chrissy, <laughs> not Tate. Um, I'm just trying to get a hold of you because Amanda's outside. She's like literally at LAX and she's trying to get to you, but they won't let her come to you. She needs you to come out and she needs you to go back to her house with her so we can put you back on tape. And I was like, I mean, it's worth a shot. And so she tries it. We have screenshots of this tweet and I'm standing there waiting. He's buying, he's still actively buying this, this plane ticket. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And then I turn around. And Mark is walking towards me with his little, like his, he's got his like sister's floral like suitcase. Cause like, he, again, he's like this 21 year old, like Irish kid. I was like, I was like, oh, here he is. I was like, you guys, I got him. And they were like, yay. He's like, oh, what's happening? And I was like, okay, I'm going to take you back to my house. And we're going to put you back on tape and we're going to just, they just want to see you be angrier. So like, you're going to just, just come with me. And he was like, all right. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so we get in the car and I call Dev and I'm like, Dev, turn on all the lights. We're coming back. I just like, I didn't want him to feel like he was going to be murdered, you know? Yeah. Like, I, was so, I was like really like scared for this kid, even though like he, he, at this point he knows me, but he doesn't know me well. And we get home and he knows Devin too, because Devin shot the, the test the previous days. But we get home and we put him on tape. We, we do so many takes. And then Devin cuts it together for us. We send it on over. And at that point it was like 9 PM, you know? So I fed him and I was like, I can either take you back to they they can rebook the hotel for you that you were staying at or you can stay here if you want because we had a guest room and he looks around he's like well we'll stay here and I was like okay <laughs> I was like are you sure like you don't have to but like it's just like if you want it's like I just want to make you as comfortable as possible and he was like no no it's, it's fine it was great and then the next morning we woke up and we re they rebooked him a flight for like 11 a.m. or something and so we woke up early and he was like we were like let's we'll take you to breakfast and um and then take you over to the airport and he was like okay great I hope he got the job after all this <laughs> oh it's coming <laughs> he goes I, I would love hold on let me see if I can do the accent um I would love to go to a diner like in Pulp Fiction <laughs> so cute. And we're like, okay yes okay so we took him to pans if you're familiar and it looks just like that diner in Pulp Fiction that Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer and we had breakfast and then we on our way to the airport we got the call in the car that he got the job so I got to tell him that he got the good job. story in the car in the car yeah 
Um, and then Jess, that was like, that was a week away from when we went to over to Kil- okay. Kilkenny. So we, f- I, Devin and I flew over to Dublin a week later and I got to meet up with him and Ferdia and Ian in Dublin and, and celebrate uh, Mark getting that oh. job with them. It's so serendipitous, you know, like every, all of these experiences have been wildly serendipitous and like just everything. I mean, this is like a really good, like this should be like in a, you know, university of like when actors say that casting directors don't care or like that we don't put enough effort in, like, please, this should be like lesson 101 of us caring. (laughs) I mean, because I know this is an extreme example, but also like there's so many times that like similar, like I've done crazy things. You just, you kind of like, when you really believe in something and you really want want something to happen you will go above and beyond and it's like can we do that with every little one line or co-star role no but I think that again especially right now and everything that's happening it gets so lost that we put so much effort and so much of our own hearts into people getting the jobs that it's like again actors need to hear this because it's like see like we fight we fight hard like it's not something that we take lightly and we're just like oh yeah here's your 20 million choices you pick like you know it's it there's a lot of there's a lot of effort that goes into involved and, and you know what else I would say is like the fact that you believed in him you know and Chrissy and it's like that you would go to those extents because you know because you both of you could have at any point been like well you know if it's meant to be it'll meant to be if not you know like we'll go with the next guy but like the passion behind it is just like so so relevant in my opinion yeah listen I've said this for years but I think the reason that we're under recognized I will say is because we've learned we've all learned how to for lack of a better word manipulate the creators into believing that it was their idea so that we can get the person cast that we feel is the best person for the job because we've learned over the years certainly and I think that this has a little bit to do with being women too like and I'm not that's not to you know take away from the the men in our profession but if we tell them who we like they often go with the other person Mm. so you know we've figured out ways to kind of you know I like to use the big fat Greek wedding reference like the woman is the neck and we can turn the head (laughs) any direction we want like we figured out a way to make them believe that it was like their idea so that they they hire the right person and you know, I think what what folks don't realize is how that's the joy for us is is you know to be able to do that for somebody and then see the their dreams come true. We're watching like we're facilit we're the facilitators and that, that sounds so cheesy and dumb, but like it's true. Like when when these actors, some of these actors are booking these jobs, it's changing their lives, and that is mm-hmm. so that is such a source of joy for us, and that's that is like the reason why we do this job certainly. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's cheesy or dumb, honestly. You- need to like own that because like that's where again I think part of a reason we're so far behind in life is because we've been conditioned by the older generation to be like we don't matter we need to just be quiet you know like we can't say this out loud and it is it's like as soon as you start owning that this was my choice this is what I did and this is why the actor got the job and then won the Emmy or won the Oscar or whatever that's what's eventually going to get casting some recognition for what they do but because we've come under you know a group of people who've been so reticent to be like here's what I've given you know contributed is partly why I think casting so far behind in all the other departments there's a lot to say about that you know like I facilitated this 
I don't even, what are we calling it, Jess? This this thing for CSA while I was on the board that we were calling the archival project. And, you know, because Devin is a DP and I have access to like, you know, I have the ability to, to produce, you know, video content really beautifully with him and his help. I was like, you know what, let's, I, I used to produce the Ardios Awards too. So I was, um, at one point we were honoring Kevin Huvane because he was like one of the first agents to represent casting directors. And we put together a little video for him. And while we were putting that video together, for him. I was like, oh, I can actually start shooting some of these legacy casting directors that are speaking on behalf of Kevin and make that, morph that into like the archival project for us. And so I interviewed like Juliet Taylor and Mike Fenton and Wallace Nasita and Jane and Janet. And I have all of these amazing casting directors on tape talking about, you know, their story. One of the questions that I asked them at the end of like the interview, uh, my last question was, can you define the art of casting? And every single one of them, they were like, oh, like they couldn't answer and then some of them answered Mm. with like technicalities like the technical job and I was like no and it's because the art of curation and like it's like a taste thing is very hard to define and and I truly think that is also why we there's a lack of recognition for us because we don't even know how to define what our art is and so that's been one of my bigger you know things that I'm kind of like leaning into trying to like get out there is like how do we define the art of casting how do we encourage each other to recognize ourselves as artists because we are it's just not a tangible art in the same way that like a cinematographer or an editor or an actor is so yeah I mean it's very that that conversation the conversation about lack of recognition is like a really big deal for me and I I I mean I could talk to you guys for another hour about that how do we how do we fix this you know because it is a big problem and it's a problem not just in recognizing us for award consideration but it's a problem across the board because it's reflected in other parts of our job we're underpaid we're often understaffed we're like we're not given proper staff to like do the job correctly because they want to underpay us because they think that they think that they can do the job without us we're facing a time where it feels like we could be easily replaced there's some rhetoric about us potentially being easily replaced with ai etc or by the producers you know i will say this and i i've had half a glass of wine you guys i'm gonna say it no just say it Come on, come on. Well, you know, the long form, form longer form uh, deal points of the negotiate, the SAG negotiation came out this morning. And one of the, we have a, you know, a text group that we're in that Jen, we should just add you to so you can be a part of it. But it was texted to our text group and we were all reading it. And I was like, they are talking about things that directly affect the way we do our job which is completely fine. And frankly, I don't want to be involved in this conversation. Like, I don't want to be a part of these negotiations. This is not a negotiation between casting and actors. It's not a negotiation between casting and and producers. This doesn't really involve us. But the fact that our our position is not mentioned at all in this document, it is like producers should put breakdowns out, da-da-da-da-da-da. Like, producers don't put breakdowns out. They're not supposed to put breakdowns out. They're supposed to hire casting directors to put breakdowns out. There's there's a problem with the fact that we've essentially been erased from the conversation in regard to the thing that we do specifically, like our job, when they're talking about our job. And that is not only like offensive to me, but it's also like there's a way to say casting in within like the context of these conversations without us being directly involved in the negotiating. 
Do you know what I mean? Because we're acting obviously like I think it's implied that we're acting as agents of the producers by way of our deal with them. But like you should still mention the position in regard to some of these things that you're talking about because by erasing us, like you're essentially, I don't know, it's something. And it's part of, it's, it's all, it's all connected to the fact that like the lack of recognition, our jobs are becoming unsustainable because we're not getting paid properly to like yeah. sustain these, these jobs. So they're facing a future. And I say they, I mean like producers and, and studios and et cetera, where we're going to have to go find other jobs because we can't afford to live and stay in this profession. Yeah. I think, can I, say, I feel like, you know, and I, I want to hear both of your experience as well. But I feel like when I went out on my own, um, there was a little bit of a false bill of goods that was sold to us as the younger generation. Yes. And I think it's like, you know, at least in terms of like, these are the boxes that you need to tick as someone that's coming out on your own. You go take your general meetings with the studios and networks. You have to have cast um, a pilot, been a casting director on a series done. And, you know, there were certain things that you had to do to be like considered legitimate and uh, be a working casting director. And, you know, it's been seven years since I left April Webster. Like, uh, you know, it's been a long time at this. I've, I've now been on my own more than I've been with anybody. And I still don't have that uh, stability or the, the entry space into the studio or network system or the streaming system or whatever it is like that, that bill of goods is just, it's bullshit at the end of the day, because I don't know who is having those opportunities. Cause it's not us. Yeah. We were sold something that, that didn't, it's not their fault, I guess, you know, like it's, it's just, yeah, it is. <laughs> oh God. I love it. You guys are scorched earth. Um, I have lots of opinions on this. <laughs> We could say that it's their fault, but you know, it's it, it, it's it's a circumstance of of everything that's happened, right? Like, yeah. you know, we we have we had to fight for jobs, absolutely. You know, we're Chrissy and I finally positioned to like take off, and it really felt like we were in a good place to like start rolling, yeah. And then what happened? The pandemic, and then it all fell apart. You know, it was, it's really it's like it, it's brought me to tears more times than I can even like say because it feels like we we worked so hard. You know, we worked so hard to get every job, every job was a gift and we knew it and we would take five dollars because they could hire someone to do it for three dollars and if that person wouldn't do it they would hire someone for no dollars you know what I mean and it was like we sacrificed so much we worked so hard and here we are and it's like for what like what do we do you know what like what do we do at this point well to be fair I think that what we can do is what we are doing is using our voices because I think that like everyone else is so scared to say anything about it or like go against like God forbid we go against the CSA even, you know, like, because I I got really upset last year with the CSA um, in terms of this whole hoarding issue and stuff. And it's like all we get told from everyone is that like, oh, yeah, you have to check these boxes. Then you'll get your first thing, blah, blah, blah. And again, I agree with Jess. We're like, yeah, you go and you do all that. And then they're like, okay, then like you have to take me seriously now. And I've done all these things. I've paid my dues. It's not like I'm just showing up being like, hey, I'm a first time casting director. No, I 
I've done all these things. And you should recognize the fact that like, even if you were under somebody or doing it for no money, that like this work still matters and counts. But then to have no backup. So like, I would say this for people who may be listening, but like we pay in to both the CSA and our union. We're one of the very few departments in our industry that have to pay into two different things because the people who represent us in the CSA can't actually do anything because they're not a union. And it's like, so then we have our union and really we're only in the union for like, yeah, contract negotiations and health insurance, I would say. They're not really looking out for our jobs, you know, whether it's being evenly distributed, things like that. So it's like, we're constantly going back between these two people who are like, well, we can't really help you. Well, we can't help you. And then we're just stuck and we're like, why are why are we the only people who are paying not, not even just in we are paying two different organizations to represent us and yet we get no help whatsoever and that was when i really had kind of had enough of csa last year was when i was like i i verbally asked in a open meeting like what are you doing to help us because we have this problem we're all aware of this problem like you are we are paying a reason and it's like the entire meeting i remember sitting there and it's kind of a funny story i was back home at my parents house and my dad was listening to the conversation who like knows nothing about Hollywood doesn't get it like and he, he has no use for it. he's like whatever Jen I don't really get what you get do but whatever to be happy <laughs> and um but we're sitting there and he's like listening to the meeting and he's like why are he's like they're not even talking about casting they're talking about actors and like what like this other community he's like why are you in this and I was like I know I was like I don't know why I pay money to these people because like when then when it finally got opened up to the general public and I asked the question about casting and our jobs and how they were being threatened, it was silence on the, you know, on all the, however many faces were on the Zoom call. And I just remember like one person kind of started chatting. I think it was our president started chatting and was like kind of skirting around the issue. And then somebody else kind of chimed in and was like, well, it's really the studios and networks. And there's somebody on on our board who is from the studio network side who just looked like she wanted to die at that moment of like, oh God, don't put it on me. And it is like, this insane world of like they refuse to take responsibility they'll only hire the same seven people like it's just and yet they want to like pretend like we're all this big like one happy family and I'm like you guys have no like no consideration for anybody else like you just I don't know I I have lots of thoughts like I say like and I don't mind saying them at this point because I feel like it is quite useless in terms of it but I think the only way to change it is to be vocal because if we just sit in the background and we just say that's our lot in life, you know, whatever, then that's never going to change anything. And I don't want to leave this person. I love what I I do. I don't want to leave the profession. I don't want to have to go get another job. Like I love, absolutely love what I do and I know I'm good at it. So like uh, the only way I can do it is to, to keep talking about it and like try to, and I'm not doing this to like take down the older generation or like whatever, but it's like, but also like if they're willing to take us down, then like, I just want people to be educated that this is happening. And like, you have the option of like, instead of going with somebody who has 20 projects on their slate, who's you're going to get an assistant casting your project. You could hire this younger generation of casting directors who has tons of experience, probably more knowledge of like the up and coming actors and still get an amazing quality project. And that's, that's my more my stance. Yeah. On it. And I think, you know, it, 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 I will give props to CSA for the one thing that they have been focused on doing for a number of years is creating this pathway program to bring in like skilled assistants and that sort of thing. But I have asked on a number of occasions and I have I have vocalized, I've, I've voiced this 
to many people within the CSA organization that yes, great, you're you're bringing in the next generation. Yes, we want you. We want it to be inclusive. We want to make sure everybody's represented. But like, what about the middle? Like we, we have no mentorship. We have no, there's no program, you know, you see these, at least they used to be, I don't know what exists anymore, but like you used to see the director's programs and the, the yeah. writer's programs that they were spot, like there was a spot sponsored by this, the studios and the networks to be like, this person will get a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. There's never been anything like that to represent for casting where it's like, you know, t- 10% of our shows will, will be cast by a younger generation or someone who is not as established as someone who's doing, you know, 10, 15 projects at the same time. And it it is so shitty that we don't have that, that guide. We don't have anybody allowing us to break in after we've broken our backs to try to tick all those boxes. It's a mess. It's a mess. And I, I would go even as far to say is they're kind of hindering us. Like it is not even that we need the help. We're getting hindered by our own members who refuse to like let go. I don't think it's – I don't know if it's necessarily like intentional or um, malicious. Like I know it's not malicious. It's It's self-preservation for those guys because they came up in a time where it was like, if I don't stab this person in the back to save myself, then I'll die. And that's the sentiment. And that's the sentiment today, you know? And then the pandemic happened and they were like, oh, fuck. They were like, you know, I have to take any and every job that comes to me. And if I don't, you know, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So we take everything and we, we take, 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 take. I don't give a shit if the generations below me are starving. Like I can't because as a business person, as you know, and I get in trouble for saying freelance business person when I am a union member because we're not freelancers, but we are, we are by definition freelancers, you know, we are, we have to fight for our own, we have to fight for the work and we have to, you know, every, every job is a fight and it's like, it, it has happened. That has happened to us. And I don't know what the solution is. You know, the I, I think we've spitballed with each other. Like the only solution is potentially like the union stepping in and saying and limiting the amount of jobs that one of these bigger legacy casting directors is allowed to take or is allowed to receive uh, fringes on. And that might be the only way to stop this, but I don't think that that will ever happen. So I don't know what the answer is. I think it's education. Yeah, I agree with you, Amanda. But I I do have to say, I disagree with the part where you say stabbing someone in the back is not malicious because it is. Well, no, stabbing someone in the back is malicious, but but – You're right. I guess I, I understand say that by way of like saying I don't think but it's listen, malicious, but they're stabbing everybody in the back. Ooh. Yes, I understand. This is the idea. Like, I understand the landscape of this industry where it was when those people started yeah. was that there were five studios and five networks and everybody had to take as much as they could because they didn't know where it was coming. And I understand that mentality and like the insecurity that comes with it for sure. Like it's a human condition. We, I get it. But and I can't, this is no longer valid. My argument is no longer valid in the current state of the industry. And I don't know what it's going to be once the strikes are resolved and what that industry is going to look like. But before the strikes, there was an insane amount of content being pr- produced, right? So much content, but still a certain segment of this profession is struggling to make ends meet. No, you're right. And if somebody is not 
they are they are they were conditioned to work in a, in a particular environment, but the landscape of the industry had changed prior to the strike. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they're still in the same mentality of take 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 take, there is a little bit of malicious activity happening there. You hear stories. I hear stories that of younger casting directors that are coming out of these big big high volume offices that are you know, everybody applauds some of these casting directors and you hear these stories, how they walk on red carpets, taking credit for their associates work without even acknowledging the level of work that went into the, that this particular casting director didn't do a damn thing. Like those things, like it's not my story to tell, so I can't be the one to do it. But I think it's like knowing that that is happening every single day Mm -hmm. and that is what is hitting us over the head into the ground over and over again and that's the that's the thing that pisses me off listen I grew up in uh like my my parents are immigrants I grew up watching them break their backs building a business I get like the, the small business mentality everybody should have the ability to run their business but at this point in time for casting directors it's the, this idea of like equitable access it's not even that you know we couldn't be as good as Bialy Thomas Bialy Thomas is wonderful we could be just as good at them but we're not even getting a shot to yeah, talk yeah we have no chance I know that's my yeah. TED talk no I will say and the, the one other thing I do want to say just this point and then we'll move on to something fun <laughs> okay great but um I um I might have to go get more wine before I ask you. um <laughs> <laughs> this is so funny, guys. Um, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say just to end that because and it and it goes back to I'm not sure you listened to it, Amanda, but like we had a can episode or a film festival episode. And it's one of those things where like I met so many producers in Cannes and they're like, why haven't we worked with you, Jen? And it's one of those things where I'm like, because you don't know about me, because all you do is hire the same people. But let me educate you as to why I'm amazing. And I will actually cast your projects rather than hiring an associate to do it. And it's one of those things where I, so I do believe that's part of the change is like the more we can get out there and like educate these people, because as soon as I like help them understand that they're part of the problems too, and like making them understand what's going on, then the producers are like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like, you know, like I literally had a story where like a producer pulled out his phone and he was like, oh, here's my list of like casting directors. And he's like, only like one of them on it. And it is a younger casting dress. It's a younger one. And um, he's like, and the other ones I don't really like. And I was like, and he's like, tell me who you want. Like, tell me who I should hire. And I was like, here's, I was like, Jessica Sherman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, it's yeah. one of those, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, well, and to be fair, he's like, well, of course, if I have anything in the UK, I'll hire you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll still do it in the US too. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also if you're not if that's a hookup for some people like where you think I'm only UK and I can't cast you then happily I'll give the the job to somebody of the younger generation but it's like the more we can educate because it is so because part of it is the studio problem where like if if a studio is like here's your five names you can choose from mm-hmm. then that's all they're ever going to know yeah. but as soon as we can create these relationships and these friendships with producers on a higher level there is an education level involved that then we can maybe change some things a little bit more. You know what else I'm hearing in that too is I'm hearing that you've had a mindset change, like shift for yourself. Because like I hear you say, like you you were walking up to people and being like, you should be hiring me. You know what I mean? And it's like, we were, we were all of us, I, I can tell you with certainty that like we don't have those personalities. Like typically we're very, like because we've been, it's, they've been that, that 
the idea of that has been beaten out of us. Like, no, you will yeah. do the job the way I tell you to do the job. You will not say anything. You will not. I mean, I remember, I won't name names, but I remember being at a rap party for one of the big shows I worked on. And the people that I was working for physically blocked me out of a conversation with one of the, the producers. Like they were standing there having a conversation mm-hmm. with him and physically blocking me from being able to participate in that conversation it was at it was at the grove and to the point where I like I was like standing back there just like listening and I was looking around and no one was talking to me and I was just like I'm just gonna go and I just turned around and left and I like started crying before I got to my car like and I I had valeted and the valet I was like are you okay and I was like yes but like I didn't stand up for myself I didn't insert myself. I didn't say, oh, hey, yeah, I'd love to be part of this conversation. You know what I mean? Because like it's been – that's been beaten out of us. So it's a real – and I could cry right now thinking Mm -hmm. about it. Like it's a real mindset shift for us too. Like we need to relearn how to move through the space with confidence in ourselves. And I will say I think part of it's come from me being over here because it is done a bit different in the UK. But I also have a friend group who – because in the States, I will say all my casting friends and people I came up in the industry – as much as I love them, they were all very similarly minded where you just kind of like sit in the back. You don't say anything. You don't like push yourself. Like you only answer if you're being talked yeah. to. And that's, again, how I was raised in the industry as yeah. well. All my bosses were like, you don't talk unless you're that's spoken right. to. And I was like, okay. Um, and then he, coming here, I've had two amazing friends, one who's a producer and then also one who's an actress who the producer, even just the other day, she called me. She's like, hey, you want to meet me in central London and go to a meeting with a production company? She's like, I'm pitching my shows, but you should just sit there and like be in on it and show them how awesome you are. And I was like, yes. I was like, throw my clothes on. And I'm like, I can take the tube in quick, like get in. And it's like, and she sat there and she was like, and she's again, the most amazing person. And she just like sat there and she's like, and you know, here's my shows, but also you should know Jen, Jen, tell tell them all about what you do and like why you're such a great casting director and they've created this like six months here for me has done a whirlwind of like my my self-confidence and like speaking to people because it's like once you start talking about everything you've done in not a conceited way but just like this is what I've done you actually sit there and you're like I'm really fucking good. Like I can do this. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's one of those things that's like, I'm not being, and I always say, I'm like, I'm not conceited. I'm so sorry. Don't take it that way. And they're like, stop. Like you, you earn this right to say like, I did all this and this is why you should hire me for your future projects. And I walked away from that meeting feeling like one, when is a producer ever taking you on just like, yeah, let's go pitch some projects together. And like, you know, and she even said, she's like, it'd be awesome. Like if I'm pitching something and they come back, like, who do you see? Then you can like interject. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> but I think that's kind of cool. Cause I I'm constantly being told here. And then my friend who's an actress, she's always like, Jen, own it. Like just own who you are, like own what you've done and put it out there because the worst they can do is say, no, not for us. But also like it, the minute you start owning your accomplishments, then you you start believing it and then you project that confidence. And then when you do randomly meet somebody who can, you know, be help you in some way or help get you a job, then they're like, oh, she knows what she's doing. Like, even if they don't know you, there's just like that confidence, you know? Yeah. What a wonderful human being though. Like that's the kind of human being I aspire to be too. Like they have to have such a, you know, profound character that you're like, I want to help this person and I'm going, and, and also fellow like female filmmaker, like, like, let me lift you up 
instead of like push you down and, and silence you. Like there's a, I think there's a big shift happening right now though, in our industry in general, mm-hmm. like things are going to be different on the other side of this um, for everybody. And I hope for the better. And I hope that we can, I am so inspired by that, Jen. Like I, I hope that I can remember that when I'm in my next situation and think, well, I'm just going to do what Jen would do here. What would Jen do? And (laughs) Jen would be like, WWJD. (laughs) Jen would be like, hey, I'm great. You should hire me. And that's going to (laughs) be what I do next time. God bless you. That's incredible. Um, wow. All right. Ask me your question. Um, We're getting getting WWJD bracelet. That's it. I broke out the lemon cello again. Um, Whoa. Real tipsy. So my fun question is, who, tell us who your, um, Jess and I love talking about our talent crushes. Oh. Who is your talent crush and why? Oh, no. Gosh. You wait till the end to ask when everyone's had a drink or two. Um, that's hilarious. <laughs> Wow. Oh, you know, my entire life I've grown up like having these intense talent crushes. I mean, starting in high school, right? Because I was doing theater in high school and I was a freshman. My talent crushes have have started at 13, I would say 14 when I was a freshman. (laughs) I was a freshman and uh, the guy who played, he was a senior and the guy, he was like playing the lead. (laughs) Oh my God. I hope he listens to this. Um, He was playing the leads in all of the the main stage shows at Kaufman and I I was obsessed with him and he was like dating a a fellow senior and like, you know, not never going to date me. Like I'm like a nerdy 14 year old, whatever. And he was incredible. And he was such an incredible actor. His name is Jeremy Bob and he's a working actor uh, in New York, uh, right? And he lives in New York and he's, he's actually on a lot of, he's in a lot of shows that you probably have watched. He's an, he's, and he's still so good. You guys, he was really, really good when he was 18. I identified that in him at 18 years old, 17 years old, 17, 18, because I was 14, 13, 14. <laughs> um, so Jeremy, if you're listening, I was obsessed with you. Little did you know you had quite the fan. <laughs> I, I was so obsessed with him. Then he went to Otterbein, and I remember going to see him in one show at Otterbein. He was in Blood Brothers, and that was one of the many shows he did at Otterbein. And I was just like, still, I was like, oh, my God, he's amazing. Okay, who are you loving these days? Who's, who's, oh, I can keep talking about Jeremy Bob. Um, <laughs> um, um, okay, so, uh, oh, God, who am I loving? We've named Pedro Pascal. We've oh. named. I'm obsessed with Pablo Schreiber. Ooh, yes, truth. Um, who else? Warriors. I mean, I could just start naming like tons and tons and tons of actors because I'm like seriously obsessed <laughs> with so many actors. Like they're stunning. You know. Um, what about an interaction with one of those? Actors. I mean, I had a, a, an interaction with Pedro at one point. Christy and I did. We hired him on something and and we ran, literally ran into him as we were like coming onto set and we were like, oh my God. I will say um, mine, yeah, mine right now is very apropos because we're, we're recording it on the release date, but is Killian Murphy. Oh, mm. yes, Absolutely. Yum. I mean, all of them. I'm just like, if I ever see him, I don't think I could handle it. I just think I'd be like, I'm so in awe of your talent. Like, he's so good that I just don't even think I could handle it. He was at the last subtitle that I went to. He was uh, presenting really? one of the awards, and he he was so lovely and very ground. I also couldn't form sentences, but um, it was... <laughs> 
impactful. I mean, like, yeah, I, we can I, we can sit like so when when we were doing Walking Dead. So you know, obviously, you heard the story about how Andrew Lincoln got the job, but John Bernthal got Shane, and that was like one of his first jobs. And again, just a reminder, my desk is in the hallway. <laughs> And so like the, the day after he was officially like got the job, he came in to say like, thank you to Sharon and Sherry. And I think that they weren't there yet or something, or they had left already for the day. And Gohar, I don't even, I think Gohar was there. It was just Gohar and I again. <laughs> and um, I, he walks around the corner, like to the hallway that my desk is in. And he, I remember him being like, ah! And I was like, he saw, I was like, I went like this and I like popped my head over and I was like, ah, and I was like, ah, and he was like, ah, and like he, he's, he like ran to me and he picked me up and he spun me around in a circle and he was like, holy shit. I was like, congratulations, honey. I I mean, he literally picked me up off my feet and swung me around in a circle. He was so excited. It was adorable. And I was like, whew. Wow, you're amazing. And I, I'm a big fan of his and all of his work. Obviously, you know, he's in the bear too, and he's excellent. And he's, yeah. you know, um, were we talking about the bear? No, we weren't talking about the bear. Jeremy Allen White? Sure, let's talk about him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, there's so many. That's crazy. I literally just started watching the bear today. I haven't watched it, and, I, you know, I'm hearing all the hoopla and stuff. So I was like, God, I need to watch this. So I was like, yeah. um, I'd gotten home from running some errands, and I was like, I'm going to sit and watch it. As, yeah, like I'm like maybe five episodes in. It's good. Yeah. I got too stressed out by it and I paused. Yeah, it's it's I we've also took a took a bit of a pause. It's like a little bit chaotic in moments. But it's 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 you know, Jeremy is fantastic. Excellent. Oh, Paul Meskel. <sighs> Stop. Oh, I got I saw him in uh Streetcar Named Desire. Oh this year my god, so you good. got to see a streetcar? That's incredible. Like when it was in the small theater too. Very exciting. Who have you guys gotten to like read that you were like in awe of? Boyd Holbrook. <laughs> but yeah, we did get to spend the whole day with him. He's, great. he's good. I haven't read him in forever. He's he's a he's a nice guy. Um, I feel like I I read I got to read with Tatiana Maslany and I was like, oh my god! Like she was like look like looking into my soul, and I was like, wow. Um. You know, it's really it, it's really amazing, and, and I've said this over the years to other people. But like when when someone like that walks into your space, and you can just feel their presence, and like you know immediately that they're a star, mm-hmm. and you can't really pinpoint why or like identify what it is specifically that makes that gives them that like star quality. It, they just are. That is uh, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That's like it's it's um indescribable, and that's happened a few times over the years and I'm just like I'm knocked off my feet every time by it yeah I think we we had that with um he was never in the room he was he self-taped Benedict Cumberbatch when we were mm. doing Star Trek Into Darkness because uh, we had seen so many guys and we were we were actually going a completely di- we were sort of going in in the traditional Ricardo Montalban direction and we, we weren't finding anybody and it was it was the most fascinating thing because he was he had done a self-tape he was literally on an iPhone in his friend's kitchen at the kitchen table and he he brought us all to tears because it was, you know, so many men had come in and, and read for that role and everybody was doing this very arch character and very mustache twirly. And, and it's very easy because the dialogue lends itself to go in that direction. But he he gave such humanity to that character because we, we all know that even 
for every villain there is, they're not the villain of their own story. They have reason for everything that they do. And that was like the most powerful thing that I had seen. Cause I like, and I was, I, I was a few years into my casting career when I got to work on that movie. And that was an incredible thing to see someone just completely change what you're looking for. Unbelievable. Yeah. It really does. Like, it's like, that's, that's the joy of the job. You know, that's when those moments are when you're like, Oh God, this is it. This is why I'm here, you know, to get to see that and experience that, Mm -hmm. like, especially experiencing it, like in a firsthand situation, it's just, it's unbelievable. I will say like Tracy Ellis Ross, like when she came in to test for blackish, I wasn't even in the room because I had to step out to to handle a situation that was happening on one of our other projects. And I didn't get to, I wasn't in the room with her. And Alexis came out and she was like, unbelievable. Like, it, there's no question. All these other women were incredible, but she was like, she blew everyone out of the water. She's like, her, just as a human being, she's so sparkly. And I don't even know if there's another word for it, but like the joy that emanates from the core of her person that is contagious when you're in a space with her and you're like, who is this? Like, what is this? Like, and you would just immediately feel better when you're around her. Like what a gift, like what an absolute gift you know, to be able to inspire joy in that capacity, just as a human, I was completely blown away by her every time I got to be in a space with her. And we would go to the table reads every week and I was just like excited to just go sit behind her and absorb some of her magic, you know, because she was like truly, truly incredible. <laughs> Love her. That's the true gift, I would say. That's the true gift of this job is, is to be in the presence of these incredible artists and and the, to, to get to, to see the work firsthand. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been on set. Like even in comedy, like on comedies, I've been on set and been in such like awe of the, the situation that I was witnessing that I was like brought to tears because I was just like I cannot believe that I'm here in this moment I'm witnessing this I'm allowed like someone gave me the like ability to be here (laughs) like I can't believe it you know I feel so lucky to be here and to be witnessing this I think it does it can happen it has happened I will say uh, through self-tapes for sure but I think that's what I miss the most about being in the room is like the actual physical reaction of like the breathtaking element of seeing someone's performance, like that visceral feeling that you get. I miss that so much. And I like, we have some theater in LA, but it's not like an insane amount that I can go and go see somebody on stage and have a guarantee of having that feeling again, you know? And so, and I think that that, like you get to be part of something so special and so unique that most people can't even imagine what we get to do when we get to do it. And so it's like, I I miss it so much. I know. I, I will say I did a zoom session for that job that I, I helped Jenny on Jenny do. She, um, she brought me on to do local casting for a film and when we were in, we did a Zoom session and when I was reading with one of these girls, I was like, I had full body chills. She's incredible. And it was, it happened through the screen. So it's possible. But yeah, I I, I felt that so intensely last year, Jess, that I, I called my friend Oscar and I was like, meet, I was like, meet me in New York, you guys, let's go see some shows. And we saw like six shows in like four days. Cause we were just like, we just need to be inspired, you know, and now's not the time for that. Cause no one's making enough money to do that right now, but hopefully <laughs> that will be reinstated as like a, an annual <laughs> trip to go see a theater because that is, you're right. That's where the mat, there's like true magic in the air inside a theater. And that's, 
so exciting. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So our last question for you. Um, so if the world was ending and you only had um, one cocktail to cheers the world, the end of the world to, what would it be? I'm like so sensitive to alcohol that I like don't really drink very often. Um, it's like a hard question for me. You know what? I would, I would say in this moment, I would say an Aperol spritz because it is like a core memory for me from, I, we went and shot a film in Italy last year uh, for my friend Juan Pablo de Pace. And I met some of the most incredible actors who are going to be my friends for the rest of my life on that shoot. And that was the drink of choice when we would go out at night. And it's, you know, just the orangeness and the, just the smell and, and everything. It's just, it's, very fresh and summery. Yeah, it's very nostalgic. So I would probably choose that just to have those memories pour back in right before the end. <laughs> I love that we're talking about the apocalypse. Like, yes, let's, let's end that on that note. To be fair, we ask everybody. <laughs> but it feels particularly real in this moment. It so does. it's fun. <laughs> Well, you guys are incredible. This was literally so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. I I think you're both fin- fantastic and wonderful and inspiring. And I can't wait to talk to you again. I will say thank you so much. I will say also that you are our first episode that goes beyond an hour. And I'm so I'm not surprised that it's you, but I'm also so happy that it's you. <laughs> the audience is still sticking around I'm really impressed and thank you for listening I guess um I just want I just for the record (laughs) I just want to show you this is my first glass so I've actually only had this maybe this much wine and if you can see how red my face (laughs) I love it it's amazing I love it (laughs) thank you so much again it was awesome and I'll talk to y'all real soon sounds good cheers yay cheers